episode 59 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And you're Brian Lovin. Today we sat down with Tara <laughs> <What>? Mann. <laughs> She's a product designer at Twitter. Before that, she was at Radio, And before that, at Science, building awesome apps. Uh, we had a great time sitting down and chatting about so much stuff. Uh, everything that's going on in the design community. We talked about sneakers for a while. That was We talked chill. about sneaker design. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, join our Slack team. We'd love to chat about it. We have over 750 designers and developers in there hanging out, talking, asking questions, keeping up with what's going on in the design world. It's been a lot of fun uh, to join that. Just go to spec.fm slash Slack, put in your email and we'll send you an invite. Otherwise, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. You can also check out all the other great spec shows like Immutable and Developer Tea. And we also have other resources like Little Bites of Cocoa, the Design Details blog. There's tons of stuff over at spec.fm. It is really worth your while, I think. Pretty solid stuff. Uh, you can go check that out. We'd really appreciate that. We have two sponsors, once again, that made this episode possible. Our first sponsor is Harvest. So Harvest is this great tool for tracking your time on projects and making sure that you're staying within time, within budget. You can even print your invoices in it. It lets you just track your time from a mobile device, from the web, from your desktop. It's got a little menu bar app that's pretty great. And you can just start a timer and immediately start working. No extra time spent like managing it at all. It's just it's just done, which is pretty great. It has this visual time report that shows you the tracked hours so you can stay on time within budget. It's got this really great user experience where you just one click time entry. There's no extra fuss. There's no extra setup. It's just really simple. You can use it on any phone. You can even use it on like super old, like dumb phones. It just works and it's perfect for teams. You can split up a studio or just a group of people you're working with on a freelance project. You've got desktop time entry, you've got mobile time entry, and it has this powerful reporting. You get these visual time reports that tell you which clients are costing you money, which ones are actually worth their value, what's on time, what's within budget. Really useful things when you're a freelancer. It's kind of, it gets kind of messy if you don't actually have that well understood. And it's got seamless invoice integration, so you can automatically send invoices with your billable hours on them to a client. So if you want to check it out, go to getharvest.com. They have a free 30-day trial, and after that's done, you can go in and use our coupon code Design Details, no space in the middle, and that'll save you 50% off your first month. So thanks once again to Harvest. Our second sponsor is Hired. Hired is pretty much the best way as a designer or a developer to get a job now. Basically, you apply to Hired. Hired, once they accept you, will just give job offers to you. They will funnel jobs to you. So you're only applying to one place and then companies are applying to you. The great thing about it is that the companies that come to you, they have salary and equity op- offers up front. They are both full-time and contract opportunities, and you can view the offers and accept or reject them before having to talk to anyone. It's a really seamless process, and they work with over 2,500 pre-screened companies, all the way from startups to large public companies, everyone like Vimeo, Facebook, GitHub, Venmo, Uber. These are just a few of the companies. They work in all major tech hubs, including San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, New York City, Chicago, Austin, Atlanta, San Diego, London, Toronto, Boston, and Washington, DC. It's free, there are no obligations ever, and if you get a job through Hired, they're gonna give you a $2,000 thank you bonus. So not only do you get a job, but you also get two grand. But if you use our special link, hired.com slash design details, Hired's gonna double that to $4,000. So if you get a job through Hired, using hired.com slash design details, you'll get $4,000 signing bonus. We really think Hired is a great way for 
people to get great offers and get into the job of their dreams. So go to hired.com slash design details. And thanks so much to Hired for making this episode possible. And with that, let's get into episode 59 with Tara Mann. My name is Tara, uh, Tara Mann, and I currently work at Twitter and I hail from New York. Nice. New York City. A uh, little bit of both, a little bit outside the city, a little in the city for s- later years in life. All right. That's legit. Six years in Manhattan. Then I moved to LA for a year and now to San Francisco. And how long have you been here? Uh, like a month. Very new. Oh, shit. It that's right. I forgot you were like going back and forth to LA. Yeah. Because I've been seeing you at like events for a lot longer than that. Okay. Been popping up. That makes sense. Yep. How's the move been? It's been good. It's uh it's really cool to like be in a more established sort of like tech and design community and like be able to meet with people IRL and <laughs> IRL. talk about stuff. <laughs> no, that's it so is true. huge, yeah, for yeah. sure. The design community in LA feels really different. Like design and tech in LA is very entertainment sort of focused still. I can see or that. e commerce. I've only been to LA once, but uh, LA is definitely really definitely got cool. the entertainment vibe. Yeah, I love LA. So I always had this impression that LA would feel like a hangover. And then I went there and got super drunk. And it did, in fact, feel like a hangover. <laughs> it was like self-fulfilling prophecy. Huh. Slept on the plane home. It was great. Oh, yes. I remember this. <laughs> we had a five-hour delay on our flight. So my coworker and I just went and drank for five hours That's straight. five times longer than the flight. Yeah, it literally is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a half hour between like ascent and descent. Yeah, it's, it's so quick. It's fantastic, too. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear, uh, it'd be cool to just hear like how you ended up like going through all these phases. So maybe we can start at design school or maybe even before that, like when did you get into design? So I got, I got into design through, this is kind of weird through sneakers, like the world of sneaker collecting. Weird. That's the dopest thing I've ever heard. Are you a hype beast? Uh, I used to read hype beast like religiously and like sneaker freaker mag, um, all these sorts of sneaker and like sneaker freaker streetwear i was super into sneakers as well in high school yeah cool yeah i got into sneakers i was always into sneakers i didn't actually start collecting until high school because i got a job (laughs) and i spent all my money on sneakers it was nice worth it at the time (laughs) sure still have them so yeah i got i sort of just became obsessed with like the aesthetics of sneakers and that was kind of my first um my first like obsession was something that was designed. I think the world of collecting sneakers is so mind boggling uh, where pairs of shoes, you know, like go from hundreds to thousands of dollars and like the aftermarket resale market is like so competitive and intense. It's crazy. There's for like, shoes, right? It's yeah. Weird. It's really crazy. There was like, like when the pigeon dunk, dunk sb pigeon was released there were like fights people waiting in line for the pigeon and there's like there's a super cool store that i used to go to all the time on the lower east side called the a life rivington club and that was like my mecca when i was in high school it was just like the coolest place it's super well designed like a gentleman sort of like smoking club vibe and it's Mm. just like wooden cubbies filled with like limited edition short run sneakers and that's crazy that sounds some combination of like terrible and amazing it's amazing it's like very hidden there's there was no sign i believe at the time and you had to ring a bell to get in there's the terrible 
Okay. <laughs> what? Back to the amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, that was super cool to me, though. Like, my favorite DJs in the whole world would, like, shop there. And I was like, oh, my God, I could be like Mark Ronson. I also find that a lot of the sneakers I would get were not even my size because it's the cool shoes were like never made for women. They were always men's. So I would buy them, but not actually wear them. So I don't actually really wear sneakers. I just buy them. They're like works of art then. Yeah. Well, they kind of are like, it's so much more than the color. Like they do a lot of stuff with the material. Um, I mean, color is like a huge piece, but you get like different weird combinations of like jean and velvet and leather and snake skin or something yeah or like tennis ball material and that's all in one kanye edition (laughs) yeah (laughs) essentially (laughs) okay so that got you into design i would say yeah that got me really into design but then like i was always really into tech and Mm -hmm. gadgets and i knew i wanted to do something with like technology and i was really kind of obsessed with following the tech world and startups and all of these sort of like mini tech celebs it was just something that I always like read about but um then at that point like design is still an abstraction to a lot of people I think when you're younger so I didn't know like oh I want to be a designer I just wanted to do something with tech and I something with media and then I ended up applying to design school and I was like oh cool interaction design is like a thing I can study um and then I just got super into it after taking like my first typography course typography is a addictive like, it's total. it's like the gateway drug for most designers yeah. as soon as i discovered those systems i was like oh my god i can just like do this all the time yeah so you went to parsons yeah so i went to parsons uh which is a design school in new york and um studied interaction design and communication design and technology um and i was also doing this other program under the new school um doing like digital media theory and like philosophy and film kind of just combining those two interests so was that about like giving you a really broad exposure to all kinds of design or did you end up like focusing in on digital product design or how how did that like guide you through to where you are now so within the major I did I took a lot of courses that were focused on designing for touch-based interfaces and interaction design specifically so most of the classes I took were in those sort of within that field so it was like up-to-date classes yeah like one of my favorite professors uh her name is jennifer brooke she's amazing and she actually was one of the people that worked on the ipad app design for the new york times um and she was like on stage during the ipad keynote and i was like oh my god like this person is my professor like that was so cool to like be able to learn from people like that or i like koi vin came to my school and would like give a talk and like just like amazing designers within the community were around and it was a great place to like be exposed to that was typography your favorite class or did you have a favorite favorite um I think my favorite class was probably um this class called designing for touch because it was more like product design oriented so part of what we had to do was like design an iPhone app and you know we read more about like there's this book, you know, Sketching User Experiences by Bill Buxton. Like we read that book and kind of incorporated more UX thinking into the projects. So that class was probably my favorite. But typography is just so applicable to software design that it's kind of... It's like the core element of most of anything on the internet or... Totally. On mobile. At least utility products. Anything gaming can be completely different, but typography is huge. 
and it's so hard on mobile too so i thought it was interesting because uh on their episode of immutable they talked about typography as the first question it was like how do you pick fonts how do you pick fonts but it ended up being like basically on mobile like revert to system default yeah that's a great response is fine right like I feel like Apple and, and Google are are focusing a lot on the typography aspect of it, and they're narrowing on in on the exact same thing too. Like San Francisco and Roboto are very similar. Totally, San Francisco I feel like just has better like it, it's slightly improved metrics. I really feel like that's what makes it special, whereas Google's a little more systematic with it. Yeah, which and they're is, both like born from Din, which yeah. was established as like a font for signs in like Germany, mm-hmm. so it makes sense. That, like that would be it's great it's very highly legible yeah. like at really small sizes it's very clean very crisp very unique character shapes for everything it's yeah it's really awesome i think font. that's the most interesting thing to me is like there's science behind it right like i think probably math. to the lay person you say typography and it's like the way it looks i guess at a very base level like what is what's the font um, like you think of Microsoft Word What's text editing, but uh, it's so it's like about the legibility at different sizes and the space between letters and what happens when you have an F and a lowercase I next to each other, like all these different random things. But it has to also be something that people like l- will enjoy looking at. It can't be like a monospace font, which probably has the best legibility. That's why code is written in monospace. It has the best legibility, especially in rows of text, which mm-hmm. is something that you're going to deal with. But I think that they've done a good job of making it a lot friendlier, especially mm-hmm. with like the round letter forms and kind of slightly more organic, even though it could be very mechanical very easily. That's the thing. Uh, Product Sans, that new Google font that their logo's in, great at just being organic, even though it's completely geometric. Can we get your opinion on the new Google logo? I was laughing today at the Jimboree thing that was going around. It was like a Jimboree logo next to the, the Google <laughs> logo. It's oh. kind of funny. I like it. Um, it feels like very sort of like elementary to me in a great mm-hmm. way it feels like the most default font to me like it just feels like this is the core of what letters are and it's just like nothing core else of alphabet yeah it's yeah. like when someone was designing these letters if if they knew the systems today if someone reinvented what letters looked like it would be a lot more geometric i think and they end up very close to that do you think that that's good for a logo i'm not arguing one way or the other but like do you think that that's a good thing for like a from a branding perspective to be as generic and like base as you can get it's i wouldn't call it generic at any point it just seems like a really good like starting point it doesn't like they can build so much on it yeah it's maybe not generic it just it feels like delightfully simple mm-hmm. and maybe like it doesn't have so much it doesn't have like too much personality, but like just enough where like, I love how it is just, it exists in all these different contexts and these different screens. And like, it's super tiny on the new Google maps icon, the app icon, but it like somehow stands out in a really great way. I love that G too. Like the G with the color overlay and the microphone with the color overlay is the best piece. I love the like way offset colors. Like, Oh, it's so good. It's, it just screams Google no matter where you look at it. The interesting thing we were talking about today was like the animation part of it with the dots. Mm-mm. I thought that was interesting how they've sort of added another element on top of the brand, right? Like it's the way the dots interact with each other and expand and stack and collapse. Like from now on, every loading indicator on a Google product will be like 
part of the Google brand, right? It kind of was for a while, though. The unfolding and everything. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting how they designated that as another sort of like version of the logo. Like, here's Google, here's G, and here's the loader. Like, when have mm-hmm. you ever seen that before? Yeah, yeah that is it, true. A loading state is like that's one of the defaults. And if you look at the dots, you know it's Google from the word go. If they never showed the word Google, you would know it was Google. They took four circles of like primary and secondary colors and branded the shit out of them. Like that's insane. Okay, so you finished Parsons. Yes, I finished. Well, (laughs) jumping straight back with no segue at all. (laughs) No segue. So you finished up at Parsons. Like, what was the experience like? I'm curious from a from within design school, like how do they help you get jobs or connect you with companies that you want to work for? So I actually got into tech while I was still in school through a Craigslist ad that turned up, turned into a startup that was eventually acquired by Google. So it was like a weird sort of thing. Yes. Story time. I was not there at that point in time, but it was like actually a legit startup is all I'm saying. Um, Yeah. I answered my good friend, Phil, who's also a designer. Um, at OKCupid. Phil. He, yeah. Phil, last name? Phil Campion. He's an amazing designer as well. Um, and so, yeah, we were like, we want to do some work this summer. And we answered this ad on Craigslist for these people looking for freelancers. And we were like, okay. And we went and met up with them and we ended up working on a few projects with them. And then they started this company called Director, which was a video making startup for mobile. It was um, like storyboarded. Uh, short films uh, that Mm. you make uh, on iOS devices and so I worked there for about the course of a year while I was in school and over the summer Um, I was involved with them for probably like a year Um, uh, so that was like my first sort of like professional product design position and I worked I co-designed that with my friend Phil and then I went back to school. Uh, you were mixing time, but like going to class and then working yeah. in the evenings and stuff. What mm-hmm. was that like? It was super fun. Um, I would go to my friend's house. We would just like work and like eat DiGiorno and <laughs> it's very specific. watch the Real Housewives. <laughs> so yeah, we had a great time uh, working on that together and it was a great learning experience and, you know, it was great meeting them and like just learning more about how startups work. So that was while I was still in school. Um, and then after I graduated, I really wanted to start my own company, which was a huge failure and anyway, kind of a waste of time. I, I think everyone does that. Yeah. You've started your own companies, Brian. Yes. Yeah. I, I've had my company that failed. You, it sounds like you've had yours. I company. went on Clerky and Incorporated. Yes, like, Clerky. <laughs> all this crazy yeah, stuff. I want to reinvent fun. commenting. Wait, Clerky was around? It was around. I graduated in 2013, so it was like just Oh, starting. shit. I didn't realize that. Interesting. Yeah. It was, um, it was interesting. I, it just didn't work out, um, obviously. That's kind of how they all fail. They, yeah. they don't do it like abruptly. They're just like, eh. Wait, I'm, I'm curious. You wanted to reinvent commenting? I really wanted to reinvent commenting. and like On the web. On the web. Um, I had a mobile web version of it but there was no at the time this was before ios 8 and there weren't like all the cool share extensions that you could do now Mm -hmm. and like stuff like that so it was just a web product um and i sort of wanted to like elevate uh what a comment means into like its own sort of autonomous piece of content so you would like so the idea was you could link to anything on the web and just like write 
a few sentences about it and then your you know or your or a paragraph about it and that was like your commentary on a thing that you found this is a very like a link blog it was yeah it was like a link blog i was very into reading daring fireball and like marco armen's blog marco you have your Edward. own too right a link blog mm, i don't really post very much but occasionally so i was super inspired by those people and wanted to create way for everybody to kind of organize their comments into albums sort of of comments interesting okay yeah it's called connote connote it's a cool name very startup-y very yeah, it was 2013 like, <laughs> uh-huh it was and it was supposed to be like a play on the word connotation uh-huh. like your own meaning on a thing as as well as a collaborative notation so very you, clever nice. yeah you could click on a link and see um other people's comments about the same link hmm. so it was built and i never launched it um, how did yeah. you get it built? I contracted it out to people. So I was doing contract work and then paying contractors too. So that's like one, one thing people ask about all the time is like that process of, as a designer, like having this idea and like understanding the product you want to build, the like making it happen. And there's one school that is just learn it and build it yourself. And the other is much more practical in my opinion. And that's hire someone that you know will do a better job (laughs) yeah i wasn't about to like learn how to build an entire web app and it just wasn't realistic for me so i tried really hard i was bad at it i wasted a lot of time by doing that i could have just spent some money and gotten it done i also sort of believe in like artisan culture or not culture but like the idea of Mm. being really good at one thing totally and i'm not i'm good i would just be a terrible you know programmer so it seemed like I shouldn't. That's an interesting point because I feel like there's this. I, I'm not going to bring up like the should designers code argument because we've put that to bed on this podcast. We decided it. We decided the, the discussion. We tell over. you what to do. That being said, I still feel like in the design community, there's this implicit and sometimes explicit like expectation that you should code. Like even today I was reading someone was like, HTML is a markup language. It's not a programming language. Therefore, as a designer, you should know HTML. And like, it's easy to, as someone that knows HTML, be like, oh yeah, of course, of course. That's a design tool. But yeah, I don't, that's like saying. That doesn't say, that doesn't mean you need to know InDesign. Right. Just because it's a design tool. Exactly. Um, But there's still like that pressure of it, right? And like, I imagine young designers reading that and being like, oh shit, I'm not going to be legit until I learn HTML. Also, it's really like, helpful. all of these tools are ephemeral and evolving. And yeah. I don't know, I, for me, my most valuable design tool is just like a notebook and a pen because yeah. I do 80% of my design mm-hmm. in a notebook. And then I just go the last 20% with sketch, which is cool right now. But like in five years, it's probably not going to be sketch. Maybe it will be, but a, man, a different I really hope sketch it is. than we know now. I love sketch. So I, hope so too. I love sketch too. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to get your perspective on before we go is you got before started. Before we go, we've just started. No, no, before we before we go into the next <laughs> the next stage of your life, you started at a startup as a designer, and we were chatting last week about like what is the best way for a new designer to like learn the skills they need to be successful, whether that's at an agency or the startup culture. So I'm curious to hear your perspective, like basically growing up as a designer or like getting your first experience as a professional designer at a startup 
what that was like? Well, things moved really quickly. And I also sort of, I was also really into like product at the time, but Mm -hmm. I was so young that I couldn't, like I had super strong opinions about product stuff, but I was also like, whatever, like 19. So like, who am I to like tell these people who have been working in tech longer than me, you know, what their decision should be about a thing. So I think like getting a lot of experience and like listening to people and not always thinking you're right is super important. And that was hard for me to get over. It's a very common thing. Like for the longest time, I just always assumed I was right. And it was a huge mistake. One of the other aspects of that was um, sometimes at a startup, you're moving so fast that like it's hard to maybe have like this mentorship model or like being able to invest time in like learning some of the tools or skills. Like, do you feel like you got that at your startup? I feel like I actually learned a lot about creating a formal design process in school. And then I applied it to like real world thinking by working at the startup. Um, I think just trying to do as many projects as you can is super important in learning how to be a designer, which is like an obvious thing to say, but it actually makes a huge difference doing like weird freelance. I like did a lot of Craigslist websites back in the day. Things Craigslist like that. Craigslist websites. Yeah. That's Those weren't title. great. They weren't great learning experiences, but like at least I learned how to like work with clients. Well, so, that, yeah, that's a great learning experience. You Did you to- then probably decide to never work with clients again? Yeah, I I really <laughs> don't like doing freelance. I hate it's, freelance, actually. Yeah, it's rough. I did that. I just did that for like a few months. I It's not my forte. Definitely. Okay, so then you've graduated from Parsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, what next? Well, oh, no, no, you did the, the year. I did the year of contract work. I did stuff for like ad agencies in New York and working on my commenting startup. Yes. And then after that, I moved to LA and I started working for this company called Science, um, which is a startup studio. So what does that mean? So we would build products internally as well as invest in outside companies. I want to learn more. Give me like examples. Yeah. So I had a lot of fun there. Um, and basically I was working on all mobile stuff, which is my favorite thing to do. Maybe there was a company that we invested in that was working on a product and they needed somebody to design it. If it was a mobile thing, I would work on it basically and kind of do it start to finish. And then we also built some fun little ideas just internally. How did like how did it get decided what ideas to build or like who's coming up with those ideas so it was kind of like what do we have time for right now what's the product roadmap looking like for actual things that we had to do for companies that were within the science family some of the products that we designed were things that um you know product people on my team came up with or or i came up with a few It was pretty open. Whoever had an idea that was interesting that we could, you know, spend a few weeks or a few months building, um, they were open to that. That's pretty cool. You like transitioned from like focusing on maybe one or two products like in school and then your own startup. And then now you got this like huge breadth of work to dig into. It was really, it was a great experience working there because I had the opportunity to design like, I think it was like 15 apps in a year. And that was awesome. And it, allowed me to kind of like move on from there but get a lot of experience in this short period of time and then also have a much larger portfolio which I don't think I would have gotten had I gone somewhere else definitely so I looked at a lot of your work when you were getting ready to leave science 
and you don't necessarily stick to the hig what like where do you decide whether or not to stick with defaults or change over so i'm sort of like transitioning into using more defaults now i think there are a lot of things that ios does right that you can take advantage of as a designer and also i'm getting away from having to have like unique search paradigms for things and like also that's not a very usable strategy but i think also a lot of young designers it's super fun and a lot of young designers get you know infatuated with these like weird sort of like search things they see on dribble i don't use dribble but my first real designer manager his name is jeff broderick and the first thing he told me like a couple months after i started working for him was you always try and reinvent the wheel like you you start over with everything you can use the defaults and then i was like oh yeah i'm just wasting time basically it's pretty but i'm wasting time literally just wasting time did you see the oh this is gonna piss Bryn off i think perfect did you see the tweet with the image and the quote was don't reinvent the wheel and then the graphic alongside it was oh, like that doesn't bother me I get a that. stone wheel to like a wooden wheel with spokes to like a bike wheel with metal spokes and rubber to a car wheel and it was basically saying like you know, maybe sometimes it is worth like making, like rethinking what this should be and like making it a little more practical for the world that you live in. I don't know. I think of stuff like that for search. Like maybe the defaults are great now, but like at what point do you reinvent that and say there's a better way? Let me clarify that by saying I was not using anything that had been done in UI before. I was always trying to invent something completely new and completely worthless. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, it was new for the sake of new versus new for the sake of, like, actually meeting the user's goals. I just wanted to draw, like, make something that people would be like, oh, Bryn designed that. And that's a dumb way to look at things. <laughs> that's a, I used to to, a I used to do that, too. Like, everything would be Source Sans or, like, Whitney. <laughs> oh, I still use Whitney. I oh. love Whitney. You know, I love Whitney. <laughs> but, like, I would do that for everything. Source Sans and Whitney were, like, my default fonts. And then, like, people would be like, oh, it's a Terra app. And one thing that I actually <laughs> learned from Aubrey Johnson, who's a great designer. Aubrey. Um, yep. At Aub. Uh, he, a few times, was just like, all your stuff looks the same. And I was like kind of embarrassed, but also it was important for me to kind of realize that all my stuff was starting to look the same. So and, I think there's value yeah. in that, though. I think so to an extent, but like, mm, I don't know. Then you just lean on your, you know ideas too much but then again that that seems like reinventing your own wheels like if you get to know a set of fonts or a system or whatever really well there's no point in changing unless it actually like meets a user's goals like measurably better in my opinion like i know whitney and knockout and gotham these are things we talked about on this first episode of immutable but it's that's a system I know and that's a system I can work with without thinking about it. It's just like, okay, duh, I know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. That's a really easy system to work in and I know how to make it fit with the iOS defaults. I know how to make it fit with the Android defaults. It's just an easy system. So I'm I'm a big fan of just like, if you pick something, just go with it. That's fine. Yeah, I guess if you refresh it, you know, at least once a year, yeah. then maybe it's fine. I'm in the process of sort of refreshing that and using like, you know, doing other stuff. What's your favorite font right now? Probably San Francisco. San Francisco is awesome. It is great. The actually. EULA is terrible, it. but the rest of it's awesome. Interesting. Really interesting. You can only use it for Mac and iOS apps. That was no. Yeah. That, I was just, just thought it was interesting how specific your one critique of it was. The, the U looks weird. 
the EULA. Oh. End user license agreement. I think oh. said the EULA. I thought looks, you said the letter or U. Or the U looks weird. I was like, sorry. But it's just a U. <laughs> no. The end user license agreement is terrible. Yes. Okay. So here's my question for you two. This whole like default versus custom direction you can take, say when building, let's do iOS, for example. Apple has given us like a set of components to work with. And they say like, this is a great way to, to compose information and show structure and navigate an app. Uh, and I, like, I think it's good to sometimes have the humility to say that Apple probably has like researched this and knows it better. But at what point do you say like, I need to deviate from this? Even if it's not like for a scientific purpose, but it's more like, I just don't want it to look default, even if that's the most practical, usable, tested thing to do. I mean, I think there's kind of a fine line because like, you know, when you you can combine default things and non-default things in apps, and I think that can look really good. But um, if it's hindering usability, I always try to stick with default stuff. Mm-hmm. So I usually make decisions based on like, what's the most usable way to do this? The other day, like I'm working on this app with Caleb, Caleb Davenport, and I was doing this like search thing and I did this whole custom search and he was like, yeah, like it's not. And I realized- that, That's <laughs> actually how he would say it. Like I can picture it in my yeah. head. Like, I can I can see how he would phrase that exactly. <laughs> yeah, and like he had a really good point. Like my weird custom search thing did not help at all and it just made no sense and probably made it a little more difficult to use. So It was, was unique like, but probably pretty. It was a little prettier, I think, than um <laughs> the default iOS stuff, but it didn't help. I feel like we all fall into that trap just so easily. Like Dude, I have this idea for something that's going to look really fucking cool, <laughs> but it's terrible at the same time. I just don't realize it yet. <laughs> like, just append that to the end. It's probably terrible. I just don't realize it yet. Fair enough. Okay. I think that's a great way to think about it. Um, so the, the one that kind of blows my mind with how easy it is to use and completely avoids the defaults is something we had discussed just right before we started recording, and that's Keezy. Have you used Keezy? I have not used yes. it. I know of it. It's just color blocks on the screen. Yes. Press and hold. It is so usable, mm-hmm. like so immediately usable. But it, I mean, there's nothing to it in terms of HIG. Like it, it hasn't touched the HIG. It doesn't know where the HIG lives. Like it's just, it's perfect for that use case and nothing else. It's completely unique, but it's, yeah. I, I think there's an element of it that is like, if your use case is completely like devoid of common UI trends. Like if you don't need to access them at all, just don't do it then. I'm 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 sure there were versions of it that used common UI, but I think if you have a high like a large margin for error that's available to you, then maybe you don't have to use the HIG. Like with Keezy, mm. like you're not recording something immediately and like it's not like automatically sending that to five people. Yeah. When I first tried like slingshot for example, I was like super freaked out because I looked at a thing. It was like sending a thing and I wasn't sure what was going on. But like with Keezy, you don't need to follow stuff because you're just like recording stuff for yourself. I just recorded sounds my niece made and played them back to her and she loved it. I, I totally like, used it. She was like beatboxing. It was great. Yeah. It's great for entertaining while babysitting. Yeah. That's not the only use case for it. But, but it's fantastic. I think of apps like, I always come back to this one, but like Snapchat where there's no there's nothing default about it at all. And you could probably argue that the UX is really really bad, but it's still very successful. 
So sometimes I just like wonder what the value is. If people like it, is it bad? Like it, it has tons of users that clearly are enjoying it. I hate it. I just stopped using it. That's fine. Let's personal preference aside. Let's like talk about the UX though. Like, I don't know. It brings you right into compose though, which is just like, that's a nice, so valuable. And, and you know exactly what to do to get started. The problem I have, the thing that bothered me was I always kept getting notifications from the left side from the Snapchat team at first. And I was like, nah, I don't, I just don't want to deal with this. That's stupid to me. That's bad onboarding. Yeah. I don't know. Snapchat's like this really weird one to me where it's an outlier, I, I'm still very confused about some of the ways it works. And like, I think you're too old. Well, it's one thing you're too old for. For example, if you swipe down from the top of the screen, you can like view your profile and to close it, you swipe up, but swiping up from the bottom of your screen opens control center. It's so like every time I try and close it, I open control center. That seems like a really obvious control center is a better app issue <laughs> yeah that happens in a lot of apps though like if you start it's pretty just, common yeah for sure it's so bad snapchat is really confusing though because you also can't it's really like hard to find people yes to follow or whatever which app. messaging app why would you follow people i don't fully understand to see their stories and stories are like probably the most popular thing on snapchat now really? rather than individual i think stories was the best product decision they ever made Kylie Jenner, amazing. She's my favorite on Snapchat. Really? Love her. <laughs> Love her. Shouts. <laughs> Shout out yeah. Shouts Kylie, Kylie Jenner. <laughs> Kylizzle my nizzle. I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah, dude. That, that opens so many more questions. <laughs> um, no, that's stories, really. Wait. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a thing. Like oh, I remember dude, when it launched, I just did, I didn't realize that that was like... Something people use I think now. that's all I haven't received a one maybe I'm not very popular, but I I don't Correct. I don't like one to one Snapchat anymore. No. It's like all story interaction. I'm gonna get Snapchat just so I can one to one. It's snap like you. weird to one to one people now. One on one people now. I agree, yeah. I don't get it. I would love to like have been part of that discussion. Just like see how they decided to do that. And like see if they knew the impact that it would have. Anyways. We don't have to keep talking about Snapchat. So you've, you Thanks. were at, you're welcome, Bryn. So you were at science for a year. Mm -hmm. And at what point did you start sort of like looking elsewhere and coming up to San Francisco? I had always been curious about San Francisco because, but I also sort of fought it really hard for a long time. Like I didn't want to move here. Big curious. Edit that out. I was <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, huh. you should leave it. Look how proud Bryn is. <laughs> I made it funny. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was like, mm. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> no, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, I have always been really into like following the tech world. Um, I used to listen to like the entrepreneurial thought leader series that Stanford puts out. Wait, it's what? like an amazing Is podcast. that what it's called? It's called the entrepreneurial thought leader. Oh, series. Sounds like the opposite of Bryn. It's so good. Um, it hurts. It's been on since like 2005. <laughs> they have like, it's so good. So it's I used like to James Altucher and like Paul Graham and shit. Uh, are they on it? They've probably, I don't been. know. That's just who I, I would guess would be on it. Yeah. They have like everybody on it. It's so cool. Um, so I, I was like really into following like tech and like startups and stuff. Um, but I, I didn't want to move here 
for some reason, just because I was like, I really loved, I was like really into LA when I lived in New York. Cause I feel it's sort of like, it's a little bit trite, but I feel like people from New York always want to move to LA and vice versa. And I always thought LA was the coolest. I can understand not wanting to leave LA. They have dais there and we don't have it here. Yeah, that's true. They have what? Dais. We'll put it in the show notes. It's the best. I wear those hats all the time. Oh, Dais. Oh, you now, well, now I know what you're talking about. Okay. You do wear those hats all the time. Mm-hmm. But not today. Not today. <laughs> that was a high yeah. five. Amazing. Yeah. So what, what ended up like kind of pushing you over the edge? Yeah. So I was looking at jobs in New York and San Francisco and LA. I was kind of looking everywhere. I was considering moving back to New York and I almost went back in March. You went uh, and visited, yeah. What? You went and visited for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, I go kind of a lot because my parents are there. So I go fairly often. Um, but yeah, I almost moved back again and... I just started looking at stuff up here and I don't know, I got like an offer from like my favorite company ever. So I was like, yep, moving here. That's kind of how it happened. Favorite company ever being Twitter. Let's be not explicit to f- not here. Not to be like a fan <laughs> girl because it's kind of weird because I work there now. But it's one of those companies. It's like that, a dream job for yeah, me. It's, it's my favorite product. Absolutely. Totally. Hands down. Yeah. Favorite product ever. In the world, my right favorite now? product currently. It's my favorite product. It, it's. I think that's responsible great, by the for way. my entire career. At this point, that's true. Like anything beyond working at a small print shop in Minnesota, it's re- responsible for all of it. For meeting all these people, from basically for meeting you, for starting the show, for like it's responsible for everything, and I love it. Yeah, and I I think that's actually a great thing that you said about being a fan of the company you're working for because. That's probably a very rare experience to have where like you love the product so much and then you get to work on it. It's pretty amazing. There's some awesome people there too, like Mike Davidson and Stammy and Avi and some amazing people working on it. Everyone's awesome. So you spent some time freelancing between yes. then and Twitter. Yeah, I spent like three months freelancing between science and Twitter. You went back to the stuff that you hate. Went back to the stuff that I hate. Yeah. I was really excited to like work from home for a while and spend a little bit of time in New York and just kind of like do my own thing. And I slowly got really tired of being alone at home working all the time. I find it to be very depressing. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that, uh, of course, like this whole remote work movement is, I feel like, catching its wind right now. Um, do you think it is or do you think it's on the decline now? Because I honestly think it's like it had its moment and now it's coming down. I think there's a, co- a few companies. Buffer specifically would be a big one. Um, Meta Lab would be another that are like they, they got press for being that. I just don't yeah. know that it's sustainable long term. So he- here's the way I, I see it is like remote working is so great for some people. But I think the biggest thing going against it is that loneliness aspect that you said is like you know, you go to an office and like whether or not you hate the office, you're at least like surrounded by people that you're building stuff with, whereas remote, you don't quite get that same experience. Especially if you're like, I can be a a very quiet person. So it's really nice to be in an environment where people are like more talkative than me. And it just like, it feels like social, but like productive. And I love that. I love 
Like that's what I love. You can about, ignore everyone, yeah. but still feel social. <laughs> yeah. Or like also just Fair like enough. everybody's working on cool stuff. So it's like, feels great to be a part of that. And that's kind of how I felt in design school too. Like everybody was like in this community of like design and like making stuff and like talking about design. And like, you don't really get that when you're remote. I'm 90% of the time probably at work. I am headphones on, like plugged in. I might not even be doing anything work-based. But I'm not with the other people in the room. Okay. On the other hand, if I'm like at home, maybe a, a couple of days a week, I am flying through stuff. I can focus like nobody's business. I don't know why that is, but it, it's been observable. And every time I do it, I think it's because I want to prove that I'm not just being lazy by staying at home. I think that's really what it is. Like, I don't want to be the bad guy. It feels kind of good to like get stuff done on your own. And you're like, oh, I'm so disciplined. <laughs> it's like... It's some weird superhero complex thing. I don't know what it is. I can understand how you would have a superhero complex. Thanks. Like one hour of work at home is like, it it like inflates your ego way more than an hour of work at work. Yeah. Because you just feel like you're... Also, I hate when people talk about like how busy and productive they are. Oh, busy is the worst. It's so annoying. I feel like that's that's a common trait that I talk about. And it's unfortunate because I know that's not a good sign. Yeah. Here's the thing is like you have all these blog posts about the busyness trap and like you shouldn't say you're busy uh, because it's like indicates a lack of prioritization. But I think that you can still have a lot of really great priorities and be busy doing that. And like busy doesn't always have to mean unhappy or unproductive or like unfulfilled. I think you can be busy doing stuff you love and that's a totally reasonable excuse to be like, I can't hang out. I'm busy because I'm building x but like in media and on like social media and and you talk to like read these medium blog posts and stuff it's like they're talking about it in terms of a day job though yeah i really feel like if you say you're busy you're you like lack lack direction or or prioritization or something i don't know i don't quite agree broad generalities killing it once again broad generalities never how do you think about generalities good talk all right (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we've gotten a lot of feedback, this show in particular, and you brought it up that you feel very strongly about this, about the design community being very insular and that we focus inwards instead of outwards. Explain what you mean. I mean, it's sort of difficult because like, I love everything that's happening with the world of design. I love that it's being like elevated to the same you know, level as like product and engineering and people are talking about it and like making cool stuff around the design community. But I do sometimes feel like it is just everybody telling each other how awesome they circle are. Jerk. Yeah. Is, this is a technical term. Is a circle jerk. Um, <laughs> to, to enunciate that. <laughs> Let's clarify. Circle jerk. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes what happens is people, you know, I don't hate dribble, but um, I just feel like people... They use the tools they have for things that aren't constructive. You'll get comments like, yes. You'll get comments like, cool lines, bro. Like, it's not meaningful. It doesn't help anything. It's just showing off. And that's not, I don't think that's a valuable interaction. I think it's something where if you're going to put stuff in front of people other than for them to get value out of. So whether or not you want to share that thing with them. So like freebies and stuff, or if you want to receive critical feedback if you want to give them something they can use those interactions all make sense but showing off like 
if you bragged about something like in high school or whatever, you'd get a lot of shit for it. Why don't we get that here? Like that's that's a weird thing. I don't think anyone should like be harassed. That's a bad thing, but that shouldn't be an acceptable thing in my opinion. It should be like if you're going to show off, at least have a reason for it. It shouldn't just be, "Hey, look how cool I am. Check this out. Check check me out, guys." Well, I don't know. This is sort of related, but one of the things that I really hate is when somebody like introduces a product as a beautiful way to do X. Like you see that on like product hunt sometimes. <laughs> somebody will post something. It's like a beautiful way to schedule something. It'll even be something like Facebook that doesn't suck or something like that. Like Yeah. It just like it's using design to like highlight the wrong thing or it's using design as like a way to sort of um, designate something in a way that doesn't make sense. It's like UI is jewelry instead of UI yeah. is functional. Totally. Mm-hmm. I it's, can see that. And like, like something to relate it back to sneakers is like, if you look at, you know, when like the first Converse, you know, Chuck Taylors were made, it was like for basketball and like they were designed for basketball. And then like you have something like a, a Lon Von sneaker that's like a thousand dollars and it's pretty, but like super impractical. And it's so like, you know, like the Lon Von of apps are like, <laughs> it's like, this is Is super, it really Lon Von? I always thought it was Lanvin. It might be Lanvin. I don't know. But like you have like common projects, that's a, a an easier to pronounce expensive sneaker. Lon sounds like what I <laughs> I guess I kind of imagine that like brand perception that way, right? Like yeah, even if it's technically like even if it was a word that was just Lanvin, they like Lon Van. Yeah, Ralph Lauren. So Ralph hmm. Lauren. <laughs> His real name is Ralph Lipschitz. That makes true. a lot of sense. Yep. I think he made he a has, very wise branding he call. He has yes. the best car collection oh my he god does. it's so amazing they're amazing he's got a bugatti 39 atlantic 59 atlantic he's got a bugatti atlantic it's amazing it's so cool oh it's it's like exposed rivets and everything it's everything is functional even though it's just this beautiful piece of art oh i'm so in love with that car interesting to hear you say that a functional piece of art mm, much like design Oh dear God! <laughs> There's the reaction. What have I done? What have I done? This has really gone off the rails. <laughs> no, that's great. I don't know. I feel like the whole dribble thing is like designers are really scared of showing work in progress, and like that's the point in time where critique is the most valuable. So you have this like really fundamentally like inherent friction on dribble, which maybe wasn't there at the beginning, but it's there now. Like that's something that we have to deal with. I think that people put a lot of thought into whether the thing they put on dribble is like the final most polished thing that they can possibly put on there because they aren't looking for critique they got that elsewhere don't animate things that shouldn't be animated too which blows my mind sure but conversely i don't think that always has to be a bad thing like if dribble is no longer critique tool then like let's not think of it as a critique tool and maybe it's a place to just like get glossy eyed over over check out how cool i am bro well, I mean, I'm certainly guilty of some of that as well, right? Like, I got shit for some of my last shots, and, like, I don't know. I see it, like, the dribble product has evolved, and it's no longer a product for critique. If it's, yeah, I mean, if it's a place to, like, be present in the design community, then, like, maybe your use case for it, for, like, announcing a new job or something is actually fine, because that's... Nice. Because you're establishing <laughs> What a your great shout-out. Oh, so in, in the design community. I don't know. How, how you fit in. That's interesting. Yeah. Your specialties, things like that, mm-hmm. your work. 
I can see that. Show, I mean, it's, they call it show and tell for designers, right? Like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the the critique aspect of it is, is an interesting one because now like where does that exist on the web? Besides our Slack team, shout out Slack team. Uh, but like that was kind of the one place, right? Where it was like, oh yeah, we can talk about what everyone's working on. But now it's just bragging. Yeah, now it's just like bragging or like announcing new products. Um, I find that like, I get really great critique by like taking a screenshot of something and like IMing it to somebody really quickly and being mm-hmm. like, is this weird? Which mm-hmm. is probably not the best way to ask for critique, but that's like super in progress stuff and it's much looser. That's my favorite way to do it is like, hey, I'll, I'll send it to an engineer and be like, does this make sense on your platform? And I just trust them to know their platform the best. Yeah. Like there might be some like unspoken rule that I'm just not aware of that they will. And I'll just be like, hey, does this make sense? And they'll be like, actually you should like the asset might say 24 by 24 but you should definitely build in some padding there like otherwise it'll feel just very heavy and i just trust them to know that mm-hmm. i love great. sending stuff to engineers engineers are the best yeah and they're not like so wrapped up in the design world that sometimes they have like really raw critique that's great totally the one thing that i do like is uh when people are writing sort of recaps of of the product design process and the most recent one that came out uh, today, which would have been a week ago, is uh, Facebook launched live video for celebrities on the Moments app. And like, they wrote a blog post showing- It's on the Moments app? Is that why I haven't seen it? Oh, no, 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 not Moments. Uh, mentions, sorry. Uh, What's Mentions? Mentions is a public figure version of Facebook. If you have the blue badge, you can use Mentions. Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. But anyways, what they did is like they showed screenshots of older revisions. And I think that right now that is a really, really rare thing for companies to be putting out. And like a few other companies are sort of doing that. North um, was really good at doing that before they merged with Hooding. Yes. Mark North Hemian. did that. Oh my God. Those posts were incredible. Google actually surprised me a lot with their, their logo rebrand. Like they actually showed that picture of different concepts, which yeah. was like, holy shit. I can't was, believe Google would put that out there. But I think that is so valuable to the community that like dribbles why is that a thing thing. why why wouldn't we expect them to put that out there why is that a bad thing unless there's like a corporate reason i think it's i think that's like old school corporate i don't think that's like right which is why i mean like yahoo did the whole like was it a month of different logos (laughs) that was so terrible but i mean but the process it was kind of cool it was a nice insight to a company that is mostly irrelevant now (laughs) yeah (laughs) Oh my god, that is so funny. They have Tumblr though; they're hanging on. Is are they? I thought I they were so. dragging Tumblr down with them, kicking and screaming. Okay. <laughs> I like Tumblr. Yeah, I like Tumblr as well. I think I they, like I, I, they've done I, some cool stuff. I have not heard a single thing about Tumblr, the product that was new or growth oriented or anything like that, since they were bought by Yahoo. They just—it was like they dissolved. Hmm. That's true, but they still have really. I think they put out, or they had put out some great work. Uh, I, I like think their, their app is really good. Yeah. Has that changed since? I don't know. Yeah. They've been adding a lot of updates to it. Okay. Well then, A plus. I just don't use Tumblr, I guess. There you go. Cool. Well, we're running out of time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug before you go? Um, no, you can follow me on Twitter at Terraman. And then I'm going to be releasing a neat little iOS app soon. You can follow at TryLinks. Wait, what's, what is it? Um, it's just a way to like organize links on your iOS device. Oh, sweet. Links. Yeah. Is okay. that what you're calling Caleb? Yeah. 
Nice. Nice. That'll be in the show notes. Cool. Thanks so much, Tara. Thank you. That was it. Episode 59. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback or just chat in general. Of course, we do have our Slack team. Uh, over 750 people are in there right now. Designers and developers. We're chatting about all the new shows we have going on, uh, like Immutable and Developer T. We're talking about the tools that we use, the latest that's going on in the design community. To join us, go to spec.fm slash slack, put in your email, and we'll shoot you an invite right away. Before we go, we have two sponsors that made this episode possible. Huge thanks to Hired.com. Hired is like a reverse job board. So you apply to Hired, and then Hired brings jobs to you. Those offers have salary and equity up front for both full-time and contract opportunities. You can accept or reject them right away. Uh, These are job offers from startups all the way to large public companies in all major tech hubs. It's free. There are no obligations for you. And if you go to Hired.com slash design details, that tells them that we sent you. And if you get a job through Hired, they'll give you $4,000 bonus. So go to Hired.com slash design details. And thanks so much to Hired for sponsoring the show. Our second sponsor, once again, is Harvest. Harvest is this awesome time tracking utility to help freelancers and studios stay on time and within budget. It has these visual time reports to give you all the breakdown of how you spent your time. It has built-in invoicing, so you can just send invoices directly to clients with your billable hours built in already. It just takes one click to start a timer, get all your time set up. It's great. You can do it from web, you can do it from mobile, you can do it from your desktop. Really, really simple, really, really awesome tool. I know when I was working in freelancing, we found it indispensable, and it's just super useful for freelancers and studios. So. Thanks once again to Harvest for sponsoring the show. Go check them out, getharvest.com. They have a 30-day free trial. After that's done, use design details. That'll tell them you came from us. They'll keep supporting the show, and you'll get 50% off your first month. So thanks once again to Harvest. We'll see you on Monday.